0: you know what season we're in? And I don't mean summer, spring, and winter. But what is this season right now, these four weeks? Advent. Advent. You know what the word Advent means? Anybody? In Farsi, it's zuhur. Does that help? No? It does. Okay. What does Advent mean in English? You know, everything was great before the advent of COVID. Everything was great before the advent of computers. People had more time to spend time together, before social. the advent of social media. Advent, what does advent mean? The coming. The coming of something. So we're in the period of the coming. And in the coming, when we are waiting for something to come, what I described earlier about the Passover, and what the Jewish or the Israelites were waiting for, they were in a constant state of Advent. They were waiting for the promised Messiah. So when they would do the Passover, they would look back, and they would also look forward to the fulfillment of that example. The deliverance from Egypt was a big deal. A huge deal. But it wasn't the fullness of what the promise of God was. Do you remember when God made that promise first? Fakhri is smiling. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah? Okay. Go back to my favorite book. Genesis. That promise was not made in Exodus. Exodus. Exodus is when they came out of Egypt. The exit, the Exodus. But the promise of the deliverance that they were waiting for was the promise that he made to Eve and to Adam about the seed of the woman crushing the head of the seed of the serpent. That is the deliverance that all of creation is waiting for. So we look back to the Passover in Egypt. We look back to the cross on Calvary. Because we're looking forward to the fulfillment of the biggest promise of all history, the restoration of all creation under the hand of God. So the Advent is a period when we focus for four Sundays, for four weeks, we focus on the coming, the zuhur, the revelation, the unveiling, the fulfillment of all of these things. So this is what we're now looking at. And you know, I mentioned some things from the book of Ezekiel last week, but I want to take you through to a promise from the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah Isaiah quotes these words. And these words are actually very interesting. They were right at the time that Israel had gone into captivity. So, when a nation goes under captivity, all kinds of rumors begin. Oh, our leaders sold us out. You know, they made a deal. You know what I'm talking about? When a nation is overrun by another nation, all kinds of ideas surface. You know, I was just speaking to Sophia. Welcome back, Sophia. Sophia was just in Iran. And a number of young people are being killed by the police and by the military. And she was just mentioning that there is this feeling that they're getting paid money to do these things, even though they don't necessarily believe it, because they're hungry, there's no money in the economy. So there's all kinds of things that are happening. Now he says he's here, do not call conspiracy everything this pi- people calls a conspiracy. This was true then, it's true today, it's true every time. It was true during Hitler's days, it was true during the First World War, it was true going back hundreds of years, it was true during the Roman Empire. There's always people that are going to have ideas that something is g- happening that is hidden. Even today. In Canada, there is a conspiracy theory. Oh, COVID was nothing but just, you know, a plan of something. So what he says is don't call everything conspiracy that people are calling conspiracy. And don't fear what they fear. This is a very important word for us in this generation. When we hear all kinds of rumors about ideas that are floating around that sound legitimate, Who killed John F. Kennedy? There's a lot of theories about that. Did they land on the moon? There's a lot of conspiracy theories about that. What is the role of the Russians today? What about the Chinese? What about Iran? What about Korea, North Korea? There's all kinds of theories. Conspiracy. But he says here to his people, who are in captivity... Okay, They haven't gone back to their promised land yet. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The world needs a generation and a people that are obedient to the word of God, that we hear the word of God, obey the word of God, and not be influenced by the things that the world is influenced by. We need to stand on the truth of God in the midst of what society is shifting and and afraid of, we need to be bold and not be afraid the lord almighty is the one who you are to regard as holy he is the one you are to fear he is the one you are to dread he will be a holy place for both israel and judah and he will stone he will be stone that cause excuse me he will be stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall and for the people of jerusalem He will be a trap and a snare. What he does is so weird sometimes. Getting a young virgin who is not married to be with child. Getting Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice. His only promised son. Isaac versus Ishmael. Ishmael was Abraham's own doing with Hagar. But God promised that he was going to give a son through Sarah and through Abraham who were both old and past the time of giving, having children. But he fulfilled that promise and now he tells him, bring it, bring that baby and put him on the altar, or that child put him on the altar. He is the one we are to dread. He is the one we are to understand so well and obey constantly. And he will be a stumbling block for many because of the way that he functions. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal it up for God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. When they had drifted away, he hid his face from Israel. When they turned their attention to idols, when they turned their attention to fear, when they turned their attention to other things other than God and his promise, he hid his face from them. It wasn't a game of hide and seek. It was a game of my face is always there, and that's the blessing that he commanded Moses to tell his brother to pray over Israel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. God wants to do that. But our iniquity causes his face to hide. So I'm going to share a little video clip now that talks about this whole thing that took place at that time, throughout the time, up until today, and why we are in this period of Advent. Advent is the four weeks at the end of December, from the beginning last week of November to the 25th of December, these four Sundays, many different churches, the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, the Orthodox Church, through all traditions, we wait for this coming. And we use that time, these four weeks, to prepare our hearts for Christmas because of the promise that's fulfilled in Christmas that the Lord sent His Son as the Messiah. But we prepare. And you know what... It used to frustrate me at times when my mom would say that because I held Christmas so special. But she would say, Every day is Christmas when you have Jesus in your heart. And that, I think that was close to her accent. Right? But now I appreciate it because everything, not just these last four weeks, all year long we are still in Advent but the calendar near Christmas stops and pauses and we are reminded to focus on that aspect of our life so watch this video and then I'll come back and we'll make sense of some things
1: so let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present you might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure but most of us know that experience we call it hope It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the Ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kavah which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kavah. The feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kava's for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, At this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find this same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because He's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there is no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope. Like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it is God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It is like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my Yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. So, Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it is crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope is not optimism based on the odds. It is a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that is as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward, and so we wait. That is what the biblical words for hope are all
0: about. An interesting perspective that sort of takes us to the point where as we are in this period of anticipation, as we are in this period of waiting, we're looking back and we're looking forward. Looking back allows us to experience or remember the promises of God. We're going to look at a couple of scenarios. You know I love the book of Genesis. Genesis so let's look at this so in the book of Genesis we read the story in Genesis 8 of the flood after forty days Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had reached, uh, receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could not fi- uh, find anywhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there was in its beak, and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent out the dove again, but this time it did not return to him. You know the story. We know that the olive branch is a reminder of peace. Why? Because in this story we see the olive branch indicating that God had made peace with the earth, with creation, and with Noah. And that now life was going to be good again after the flood and the dying of all these poor people, the sinners, they're still poor people, God sent out hope. But in in Noah's case, how long did he have to wait before he even opened the window of hope in the ark? Forty days. And forty days is a very important time in scripture. You find the term 40 days, or the number of days, 40 days, all throughout scripture to indicate a period of waiting. They waited 40 days, and then Jesus left the disciples and went to heaven after his resurrection. Noah waited 40 days until he opened a window of hope to send out the raven, to send out the birds, to send out different things that would tell him what happened where else do we see this where else do we see this window of hope opening let's look at Luke chapter 2 tells us when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord uh, the Father right the baby Jesus, to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting. There is that word again, waiting. He was waiting for many years in his life. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. They came out of Egypt. There was a promise of a Messiah to Adam and Eve. There was a deliverance in Egypt. Now they're in their promised land. They have been overrun by the Babylonians and then the Assyrians and then the Persians and the Medes and, that, and then the Romans came after all of that. But in that period, they always were waiting for the Messiah. They were looking back when they celebrate Passover with the hope looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. He was promised he would not die until he was, his own eyes see the Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went in into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him into his own arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I can now go home. I have seen you fulfill your promise. I've experienced what you promised me. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for, the revelation, for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The, fathers, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Imagine, Mary knows that this baby is very special because she has not been with a man, but the Holy Spirit through the angel came and told her she's going to be with baby. And now she knows something special is happening. And they waited until the exact time of the purification rites. What is that exact time? Look what the Lord spins into all of his scripture. In Leviticus it says to Moses, Say to the Israelites, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean. nothing about the man just the woman the woman is going to be unclean because she gave birth okay for seven days just as she is unclean during her monthly period on the eighth day the baby boy is to be circumcised then the woman that's after now seven days not the eighth day the seventh day after the seventh day from the eighth day forward she is to wait another 33 days to be purified from her bleeding after she gives birth. Seven days and 33. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of purification are over. So how many days are those? Forty. When the days of purification of his son and daughter are over, she is to bring to the the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a year-old lamb. And Mary and Joseph did all that. So let's go back. Say to the Israelites, how many days? After seven days, they're taking the baby to be circumcised. And the circumcision happens in the home. They don't go to the temple or the sanctuary for it. The rabbi comes, the priest comes and circumcises the boy in the home. Plus 33 days. We did the math already. How many days is that? 40 days. Wonderful. Now what if it's a girl? He goes on and he says, if it's a girl, if she gives birth to a daughter, for two weeks, the woman will be uncleaned. As during her period. And then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. How many days is that? Two weeks is? 14 66 plus 14 is 80 days. It's again 40 days plus 40 days. 40 days reminds us that it's a period of waiting. It's a period of, of Advent. It's a period of expectation that we look forward to and we wait. But we don't just wait for anything to happen. We wait knowing that something is already happening told to us that it's going to happen we wait knowing they waited knowing that after 40 days they can go to the temple and present the baby after 80 days they can go and present the baby girl they knew God told them there is a fulfillment that is being awaited we are waiting for 2,000 years we have been waiting for the return of the Lord We're not just waiting in vain. We're not just waiting with, you know, wishful thinking. Yeah, maybe it will happen that he returns. Maybe it will happen that so-and-so will be healed. Maybe it will happen that everything will work out. We sing the song, God will work it out. But do we believe it? Do we believe in our life that God is going to work it out? Do we believe that he is real. Look at this in Luke chapter 3. We just read Luke chapter 3 at the beginning, when, or 2, when they took him to the temple. Look at this in chapter 3. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their heart if John might be, possibly be the Messiah. They've, these are Jewish people that were looking with hope for something. They don't know how that something is going to be fulfilled. So as soon as they see something that looks like it could be, they run to it because they want to see, is this the one? John was going around baptizing people, telling them to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they would go out to the wilderness and watch him baptize people. So they were wondering with expectation. They were waiting for what? The same thing that, the, that Simeon was waiting for. The Messiah. Are you and I waiting with expectation? Are we waiting with a real expectation that it's going to be? It's going to happen. With our circumstances, as the video said, we don't look at our circumstances for hints that it's happening. We don't look at a church service that has every seat filled to know that God is doing something in our midst. He's doing something in our midst, whether the seats are full or not. He's doing something in our midst, whether people are online or not. He's doing something on our, in our midst because we desire it. And as soon as we desire it, his face is not turned away from us. It's not hidden from us, but it's fully focused on us, shining on us. That's our doing. His face is constantly shining. But when we invite him into our lives, his face now begins to show. So they were waiting with expectation. And John said to them, "I baptize you with water, but one who is more important than me will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire." And again in, Mark, in Luke, in the same way, when the people were being baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And as he was praying, heaven opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a raven. Huh? Yeah, I know it said dove. And I know we remember that. But I said raven to remind you of Noah and what he did when he opened the window in the ark with expectation that the ark is going to land and the land is going to be dry and the, the Ark is going to be open and all the animals will come out and a new world will begin. A new creation will begin. I said raven so that you can remember that the dove that came back with the olive branch, the olive leaves, it was a type of the Holy Spirit and what he was doing. And God is sort of bookending the story, reminding the people of Israel, remember what I did with Noah. Remember when I formed a new creation out of Noah's family on the earth. A dove was used to give you that story. A dove was used to remind you of what I'm doing and how faithful I am. And now I'm showing you with a dove. And that's now why we remember the dove as the symbol of the Holy Spirit. This is all tied together, it's all connected. God is a master painter, and He is painting this beautiful picture all through history in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's all connected. And he's weaving it so that you can understand the richness of his love for you and how faithful he is from generation to generation to fulfill the promises that he has given. And he says here, you are my son whom I love. I'm so proud of you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, with whom I'm well pleased. You talk to my children... Silvas and my children, we have never told them we're proud of them. And it's always made them wonder, are they proud of us? Do we do anything that they're happy about? But we tell them that we're very pleased with you. And they know now that that's code, that we are proud of them. And it's not a pride of, you know, pride. You know what I'm talking about? There's different types of pride. In English, we have just the word pride. In Arabic, there's the word iftikhar, fakhri, Okay, which means pleased and happy and satisfied. And then there's another word that is the negative pride. We don't have that distinction in English. So what God has done here through Luke, write it this way, that I am well pleased. But the word here is the word iftihar, is the word that indicates a pride, not an arrogant pride, but a satisfied fulfillment and a pleasure. So he says that of him. And he says that by sending the dove to show that there is now reconciliation, a new creation, a restoration. So as we come into Advent, yes, all year is Christmas, but as we're coming, this is week two, by the way. We have two more Sundays before Christmas Sunday. And I'm going to remind us of all the things that Advent is supposed to awaken in us just before Christmas. You know why? And I'm so happy that they chose this time just before Christmas. Because we have shifted Christmas into a commercial thing. And it's, it's, even though it's about giving God's love and God's gift to humanity, and we do that with one another, we give gifts to one another. One of the small groups has a secret Santa happening, and they're going to have gifts that they're going to share with each other. I don't know if the other group is doing that too or what. But as we do those things, sometimes we miss the point of what Christmas is, and it becomes commercialized. But Advent, for us who are believers, brings it into focus so that we don't lose the perspective that this is the time that we are to wait with anticipation, expectation, and focus. It reminds us one four-week period out of 52. It reminds us that we are His people. He has been faithful, and He will remain faithful. Let's stand up and pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for the richness of your word, for the clarity that your word is just so connected from old to new, from book to book, from chapter to chapter, from story to story. You remain faithful from one generation to the other. You have shown us through Israel how faithful you have been, even though they have been unfaithful, even though they have rejected you, turned away from you, you always are waiting to shine your face on them. And the same with us. Even though we have been unfaithful, even though we have turned our backs on you many times, especially in the last year, we have done it so often. We are by nature sinners, but by faith, we're saved. By faith, you have redeemed us. By faith, we have pleased you. By faith, we have received life from you. And you have manifested yourself in your presence among us. So Lord, we ask you in this season of Advent that you would speak to each one of us. Bring your presence into our lives in a tangible way that we would know that you are here, hearing us, answering us, pulling us closer to your heart. Lord, as we scan across this room, you know each one of our circumstances. We pray for those who are absent today, online and in person, that your healing power would just cover them right now. Lord, may faith arise where there's a need for healing in the body, in finances, in relationships. In faith, let healing flow. Let life flow afresh. Let your spirit just stir among us and in us to bring us to that place that we are a people with whom you are pleased. May your light shine upon us now. And Lord, we pray for the 25th. We ask for your blessing upon the entire production The coordinators, the actors, the the narrators, all of it. And all of us who are going to be here, Lord, and the friends that we're going to invite to be able to take it in. May it be a moment in time before the rush of Christmas takes over everything. May it be a moment in time on Christmas Day that brings hope to the hopeless, light to the darkness, and life. We bless it now from now, Lord. May you be blessed through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as we leave here and as we leave online, may the goodness of God go with you. May you experience the fullness of what God has in store, and may this week be just filled with glory. Encounter after encounter where you would meet God as you would meet other people. God bless you. Go in his peace. We'll see you next week or throughout the week at the small groups. God bless you.